0: So, as you heard me say to Denny, I well remember when my two children were confirmed by this congregation at this altar, which was, in fact, about 25 years ago, which seems, you know, sort of like a lifetime ago. I remember their questions about what it all meant. And Melissa and I answered their questions as best we could, and then, of course, proceeded to share all of their adventures as they emerged into adulthood. The details of that adventure we could not have anticipated at the time of their confirmation. We had our expectations for them, of course, but we learned, sometimes the hard way, that much of the work of parenting involves learning to hold those expectations lightly. As Khalil Gibran aptly put it in his famous poem about children, a portion of which you, you have on the front of your, your program. Let me just give you the whole thing there. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams." You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, So he loves also the bow that is stable. That is a beautiful sentiment. And I mostly subscribe to it. On the other hand, it also bends towards the sentimental. And as we adults well know, life isn't always clear cut and easy. The bow can sometimes strain and crack when bent, and the arrow does not always fly straight. There will be tears ahead as well as triumphs. One of my enduring prayers for my kids over the years has been a prayer for protection that God would hold them close and help them to remember that no matter what trouble found them, they would not lose heart or lose the conviction that they were loved. And my thought was, my firmly held belief was, that if they could see that conviction at work in their parents' lives, in Melissa and me, as best we could live it, then they would be well served for whatever life dished up for them. And when, for whatever reason, we couldn't do that very well, they would remember that God was present still, always had been, always would be. God was their fortress and their rock. I hope that would sink into their innermost being, way down into the bedrock of their lives, below their doubts and questions. From that deep place, then, the Spirit could groan out their prayer that was too deep for words. That's how we heard Paul say it a few minutes ago. There's a reason we have confirmation on Pentecost Sunday, as our story is told. Pentecost is the day God's Spirit came upon the ragtag, dispirited, and cowardly band of disciples that had abandoned their mentor and friend at his time of greatest need. Jesus had told them he would not leave them comfortless, that God would provide a counselor, a spirit of truth that would mediate Jesus' presence. I will not leave you as orphans, he said. I will come to you. This coming is perhaps the greatest mystery of our spiritual life. If we interviewed all of you about this, we'd have quite a wide spectrum of reports concerning if and how you experience God's presence in your life. As you know, there are several Christian denominations that have very specific ideas about what qualifies for authentic spiritual experience. For me, that has always had the whiff of over-controlling something that could not, in fact, be controlled, and that God was an entirely free agent on how God might manifest in someone's life. The problem with spiritual experience, of course, is that it is self-authenticating, One just knows it, or not. Our scriptures and tradition tell us that the evidence will be found in how people live their lives, the content of their lives. If I say to you, I have a powerful understanding, experience of God's presence in my life, how is it that you might know that I am speaking the truth? well, you would wind up seeing the evidence of it in my life. I couldn't prove it to you in any other way. We see this evidence, for instance, in the lives of those cowardly disciples who are transformed utterly into courageous men and women of faith on Pentecost because the spirit wind blew through them that day we are now all in this space i mean that's kind of astonishing isn't it that's kind of astonishing that's a kind of evidence but then how do we connect the dots to our own individual lives how does faith in this graceful god show up in the lives of ordinary people people you know like us sitting here What does the evidence of our lives reveal? Maya Angelou's classic essay, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, describes what this evidence of God's presence might look like in someone's life. Set in the South back in the 1940s, the essay tells of a time when Maya's mama was taunted and insulted by a group of white girls while mama was doing no more than sitting in a rocker on her front porch of a small grocery store they ran. The girls said nasty things to mama, laughed at her for being black. One 13-year-old girl, confirmation age I might add, even did a handstand so as to let her dress fall down. She wasn't wearing any underwear, and so she mooned Mama with her bare bottom. Watching her Mama, young Maya was furious that Mama didn't do something. Yet Mama stayed calm, and as Maya moved closer, she heard Mama singing quietly, Bread of Heaven, Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. The girls tried tired of the show and eventually left, and as Mama left the porch to return to the store, Maya heard her singing again, Glory, glory, hallelujah, when I lay my burden down. Mama could see a whole lot deeper. Farther than just those girls and their despising of her. She saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it changed everything. She knew who she was and whose she was. And she knew all that and could see all that because the Spirit of the Lord was with her. Her life gave evidence of the inner reality. And now we surmise that there was a little Pentecost on that porch when Mama had been filled with the Spirit of God and her daughter, Maya, had heard of it in her own language. That is, in a language that would touch Maya's heart and change Maya forever. And here you see, in that way, Mama was a true bow in the hands of God, and Maya was a sure arrow that flew swift and far. And we pray that that may be so for all of us.